Michelle. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Better Words. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Caitlin. Um, <laughs> welcome back this week. Very exciting um, chat that we have lined up this week. We um, we probably got a bit yeah. silly towards the end because I was very, very tired, but like hyper tired. So enjoy that. Yep, can confirm <laughs> um, that does happen. Um, but it was it was two a.m. It was for you. It was midday for me. It was like evening for Emery. It was all oh. over the shop. But I'm so glad that we were able to pull it off. I know. And thank you to Tobias. For, yes, for that. Big shout out. That was um, awesome. So before we obviously dive into our interview, let's do our usual little catch up, guys. I saw snow for the first time ever yesterday. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited like, for you. Oh, my God. It was amazing. And it wasn't even like, you know, I feel like there would be a difference between seeing snow in a ski field. Still amazing. But, like, I literally I went to a coffee meeting and it was sort of drizzly rain. I came out from that coffee and there was snow falling from the sky. Like, that was amazing. So amazing. It was so cool. <laughs> Needless to say, all my um, my friends at the co-working club were, like, laughing their heads off at me and my reaction because I came back and they were like, oh, my God, we saw the snow and we thought of you. Um, and they were just, like, <laughs> so excited for me. Because they'd mentioned the snow, the potential for snow, and I literally said that morning, like, nobody get my hopes up. I'm sick of, like, thinking it's going to snow and then it not snowing. I don't want to get excited about it and then it not happen. And then just, like, spontaneously started snowing in the middle of the day. And it was a decent amount of, like, it settled on the ground for a little bit, a big fat flakes falling from the sky. Oh, it was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't, like... Any, like, literally there were people at the co-working club were like, wait, so it doesn't snow at all in Australia? And I was like, well, I mean, there are places that it snows, but I've never been there. But also, like, it's just not a normal thing for it to snow no. in winter. Like, no. it's very, very rare. It's, like, incredibly in rare. years. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, like, only ever in, like, the very centre of Canberra for five minutes, you know? Like, it doesn't really snow here. It snowed but... in Stanthorpe in Queensland or, like, on the border, but it's oh very God. rare. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, it's anyway. on the Great Dividing Range. It's near oh, where my okay. mum lives. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair That's enough. how I know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so very, very rare. Seeing snow for the first time, very exciting. I've never seen yes. snow. I'm very jealous. It looked so magical when you sent me a photo. It, it actually, like, it was quite lucky because I did get some snow at his work, but it didn't settle on the ground. Like, it was too wet. It just, like, melted straight away. Whereas, yeah, I reckon it probably snowed for about 40 minutes to an hour and it fully settled on the ground for a little bit and it was, like, on the rooftops and stuff. It was so pretty. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, so it was very magical. It, I mean, it sounds so wonderful. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm so glad that you get it. I'm just like, this is amazing. I was literally just looking yeah, out the this windows is, like. This is an experience 
for an Aussie, you know, like. <sighs> I know, I mean, and I was literally just looking out the windows being like, guys, this is so magical. How are you all so calm? And they were just laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, this is incredible. Like, how is this a thing? Like, I've just never seen it. Like, just an average, just an average Monday, like, I was like, how are you guys doing work right now? This is so cool. <laughs> I know. Well, it's like, have you ever been to like a big zoo here in Australia and you go through like the you know, Australian or like native animals section and all the tourists are like, oh, my God, kangaroos. Mm. And you're like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> drive past them all the time. Like, yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah, you're, exactly. We're, we're like, it's just a kangaroo, you know, and they're yeah. like, Michelle, it's just snow. <laughs> no, they're like, this literally happens all the time. But, like, they, a lot of them were like, wait, so you've never seen snow? And I was like, no, never. Oh. Well, if they've, like, grown up with it probably snowing semi-regularly, then. Yeah. 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 They, like, literally they just could not get their head around the fact that it's, it, I'd just never seen it ever. So, yeah. Gosh, I, how funny. I know. Which To which I I, I want to be like, well, I mean, has it ever been 46 degrees where you've lived? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We've got cool stuff too. <laughs> you know, has, has it, you know, bushfires, floods, cyclones, all of that. Yeah, all Gosh. in one month. Yeah, all in one month. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, it was – it was. I, I probably – you know, probably not as excited as the people who finally got rain in Australia, but pretty damn close. <laughs> of course, it happened, um, you know, I had a lot of train delays after that, but that had to happen on a day where I finished my book on the train to Nottingham. So I didn't have a book to read on the way home. Very sad. Oh, um, tragedy. I know. Literally, I was like, do I have time to go to Waterstones and buy a new book before I go to the train station? And I was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to a, a podcast instead. Um, but I want to tell you about the book that I finished. Because, Please do. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. So um, I don't think you've read This Is Going To Hurt by Adam Kay, but I, I suspect a lot of our listeners would have at least heard of it if they haven't read it. Um, and so if you enjoyed, this is going to hurt, then this book is absolutely for you. Like go and pick it up immediately. It's called, can you hear me? And it's by Jake Jones, which is a pseudonym for someone who is still working in the ambulance industry, um, or the paramedic industry. I don't think industry is the right term, but anyway, uh, but basically it is a memoir of his time as a paramedic. And it's wow. really amazing. It's so incredible. Like wow. I just well, that yeah, sounds I, very interesting. Yeah, it's very it's it's very beautifully written as well. I would say more literary than this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt is very funny and I love the way it's written. This is not as outright funny, like this is going to hurt made me actually like laugh on public transport like it's very (laughs) funny this isn't as funny but it's very like poignant and just makes you think a lot about these situations and how we perceive paramedics um and the way he sort of sums it up is basically like they're just ordinary people doing a really extraordinary job like that doesn't make them um 
the sort of heroes. heroes. Well, yeah. it, I mean, it does in a sense make them heroes, but it doesn't make them uh, like bulletproof from trauma or mm-hmm. um, feelings or it doesn't make them immediately know everything. Like he reveals a lot about, you know, going to scenes and literally just being like, what if I mess this up? What if? Yeah. 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 And he talks too about like his own experience. His father had early onset Alzheimer's. And so the final chapter, and I'm like, I'm not spoiling anything by saying it. The Mm. final chapter is something that happens to his dad. And like, suddenly he's like, oh, now I'm the one who's getting like. Like on the the, other side. Yeah. And he's like, oh, everything that I'm hearing is what I would genuinely say to try and reassure people. But it sounds so hollow now that I'm in that position. On the other side. Yeah. Yeah, So like. It's just it's very inter- interesting and it's very reflective, um, and it's it's absolutely not trying to make them all out to be heroes. It's literally just this is what it actually looks like, and it's something that I know most people like. I feel like I've had a slightly more inside look than the general public as a journalist, just because you know we would come into semi-close contact with emergency mm-hmm. services on a regular basis we would hear the the jobs that they went to yeah I, I just I loved it it was amazing so yeah go read that it was very <laughs> very very good have you been Sounds reading anything so lately interesting. um I have but I have a little fun reading story that I thought I would share as opposed to my current read sort of um <laughs> so I bought the novel version of Dear Evan Hansen, the musical, when I was in the US, I think I bought it at the Strand bookstore in, no, I didn't because it's a Barnes and Noble edition. So I must have bought it <laughs> in LA. Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I bought it in LA when I was in the US in 2018. And I didn't, I also bought, the script there's there's a published version of the script of this musical so I bought that as well so I read that immediately after I got back from this trip and for that reason I then didn't read the novel straight away because it's the same technically um so I left it for a bit and I started reading it I want to say since I've been in Sydney so maybe around five six months ago I started reading it and I just I read like a little bit at a time. I was in my mind. I was like, this will be a nice, like a couple of pages before bed book. That never happens. I have such good <laughs> intentions I know. for those things. Yeah. Anyway. So then on Saturday, this past weekend, it was literally raining all day. Oh, same. And I just, I'd read 60 pages of this book by then. Hadn't picked it up for like all of 2020 if not a bit beforehand and I was like you know what I just have so many books that I'm part way through let's bloody finish one it's raining all day and I just sat down and just read it and like in between just sort of like doing other things chatting hanging out making cups of tea making lunch blah 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 just read the rest of it as a lazy Saturday, and it was so wonderful. Oh, 
I love those days. Yeah, it was just like I got to the end of the day and I was like, man, what a perfect Saturday. <laughs> like six cups of tea, finished the book. It's been raining all day. Like, amazing. See, I would have, I would have done that when I was single, but um, because we had the same situation where it was really rainy, really windy, so we had like a movie day instead. Um, yeah. And I was reading my book while Jack watched some movies because he picked like war movies and stuff but basically I was right right you pick one I yeah. pick one and we'll keep going so we ended up watching four movies that also sounds awesome yeah it was really um, good which ones did you pick um so I picked um Patriot's Day which actually is one I have been wanting to watch for a while, but definitely also appealed to Jack. Like I was kind in my yeah. I was kind in what I picked, let's be honest. Like I didn't make him watch anything I knew he'd hate. Um, yeah. But Patriot's Day was actually the movie that I wanted to talk about because it was incredible. Uh, it is about the Boston Marathon bombings in 2013, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember them happening. Were you still in school? I was in year 12 in 2013, so blinded on for the rest of the world. I have no idea what happened in 2013. Anyway, <laughs> just I me. just remember, I remember being in university. Um, oh, studying journalism, so. Yeah, but it wasn't so much that, like, I don't remember talking about it in class or anything. Like, I, I just, it's one of those things that I remember seeing on my social media and on the news as because it was such a big thing Um, and to me it seemed like they I thought they caught them like really quick compared because it basically happens over the course of a week so I was I was like wow that's amazing Um, I remembered something about him being found in a boat and I remember like some of the footage like I remember they got them through CCTV but basically this movie takes you through like the day, the bombing, and then the investigation after and how the different police departments in Boston worked with the FBI to find the people responsible. And there's so much extra that happened that I had no idea about, um, either just because I didn't hear it because I was to some extent wrapped up in my study um, Mm -hmm. or just because it wasn't reported or I've just forgotten it. Um, and yeah, it was amazing. But what um, made it an even better movie is that at the end they have some of the survivors and the actual police and stuff talking about it. So to me that gave it this Aww. stamp of like, okay, they approve of it obviously because they wouldn't be involved in it if they otherwise yeah yeah so it's very good it's got Mark Wahlberg in it who I've never really paid attention to until recently um Mm -hmm. as a as a movie star just because it's usually in movies that I don't like and it's probably Jack's movies that have introduced me to him but god he was incredible he was so amazing great yeah he was really good like oh the emotion and God, he was amazing in this. So I'm actually really excited now to watch his new movie, which is, again, um, like a Boston thing, I think. And it's something to do with, like, a prison break or something. But the only reason I got interested in it was because Eliza is in it. Oh. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, what? yeah, so I saw it in on her story. I'm surprised that you haven't seen it because it was all over her social media. Um, but she is in it. It's a Netflix movie. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and it's like a Mark Wahlberg. I don't know if he's also, like, produced it or something, but it was really cute because Eliza's husband, um, like, shared the trailer and was like, oh, my wife's in Mark Wahlberg's movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, that's just a side note. But, yeah, Patriot's Day, incredible. It's on Australian Netflix, which is how we watched it because I hadn't I hadn't looked at Netflix in Australia for ages with our yeah. VPN and then like I accidentally did it and we were like whoa they've added so many movies so many new things yeah <laughs> um and then the second movie we watched was um the children act by I'm gonna say by Ian McEwan um that's who wrote the book which I read and I've been wanting to watch the movie for a while it's got Emma Thompson and Stanley Tucci in it um mm-hmm. it was so good duck I think was like, oh my god, this is going to be so boring. And I looked over twenty minutes in, and he was just like glued to the screen. So yeah, it is a really, really interesting, um, like more somber movie. Um, and then yeah, basically last night after we'd both had a pretty meh Monday, both of us were like, wow, we need something fun because um, yeah, we watched serious movies all day. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, we need something fun. So we put on like an Andy Samberg movie. And, Great. Yeah. Well, mm. again, my recommendation is like far less sophisticated than yours, but <laughs> I do have a recommendation for something very fun that is on Australian Netflix. So you guys can watch it. I reckon you're going to love it. It's an ABC comedy that um, is on Australian Netflix. I um, So I didn't watch it on the ABC, but it's called Ronnie Chang International Student. I've heard about this. It's I need to watch it. so funny. Only six <laughs> episodes, 20 minutes, ABC comedy. So it's Australian. It's hilarious. And it is based on Ronnie Cheng's, like, real-life experiences as, like, an exchange student at Melbourne Uni. So it's, like, set at Melbourne Uni. And it's, like, mainly follows, um, like, the main character and, like, two or three other, like, international students. I think they're from many, like, different countries, but I think there's, like, Malaysia, Singapore, Vietnam bouts there and then there's like one random American and then they're all friends with like one Australian girl so funny that's so good. so good I can't recommend it like highly enough it's amazing <laughs> I also need to watch sex education because that everyone over here says it's amazing have you watched it yeah yet? I haven't but I have only heard good things mm-hmm. so I really should get around to it yeah, definitely yes. need some more comedy in my life this week. It was a very serious yeah. weekend. I need a yeah. light-hearted thing. <laughs> Absolutely. My light-hearted thing at the end of last week, I had been watching the Lizzie McGuire series on Disney+. Oh, Plus. yes. So adorable and wholesome, and I love it so much. And Gordo is the best person ever. Oh. He's, like, right up there with Gilbert Blythe for me now. Really? Um, but, yeah. Oh, my but then gosh. I also straight away watched the movie which is just so good (laughs) hey now hey Hey now now. um 
Yeah. My – you were going to keep going, aren't you? <laughs> I want to, but I won't make our listeners listen to that. <laughs> I mean, my my go-to um, whenever I need something in the background and I want it to be uplifting is always Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm currently re-watching season three. Um oh. Yeah, oh my so God. good. And Jake and Amy just getting together. This is so good. No, this is when well, maybe I'm up to season four. It's when they end up in um, witness protection in Florida. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. So they've come back and they're like, oh my God, we're in sync again. And uh, like Jake for me is like right up there with Gilbert Blythe now. Yeah. Um, which I mean, <laughs> maybe that's partly because he reminds me of Jack anyway so maybe that just counts it (laughs) yeah um but yeah oh my god I just love that show so much anyway this will turn into a Brooklyn Nine-Nine appreciation podcast soon yeah yeah. if it isn't already like (laughs) oh (laughs) Nicolage Nicolage um yeah well on these super fun notes that we've Mm. ended this intro on um, shall we get to our super fun interview? I think we should. <laughs> our guest today is a fabulous young adult author. She's written five YA novels, including Open Road Summer, The Start of Me and You, The Names They Gave Us, and when we collided. Today, we're going to be talking about her latest novel, The Map from Here to There. Welcome to Better Words, Emery Lord. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is, I believe, my first podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's so <laughs> exciting. Oh, we're honored. I'm happy to be here. I'm a, I'm a very long-time listener of podcasts, but I think this is my first time as a guest. I'm very happy. How exciting. I mean, we're (laughs) such a huge fan of podcasts that we started our own. So, of course. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I was um, thinking, though, you're out in, we've been doing this for a few years now, and we have um, spoken to a handful of US authors or writers or whatever, um, but you're our first one for quite a while. Um, We mainly for the past year or so have been talking to Australian and UK based Well, that's wonderful. People. So, I mean, Australia has such a rich young adult landscape. Um, one of my favorite working YA writers is an Aussie, um, Melina Marchetta. Oh, of course. A classic. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, we're very proud of our... We're very um, proud of our <laughs> Aussie YA sure. crew. <laughs> yeah, so much good oh, stuff. Wonderful. Yeah, and yeah. Then that's one of the reasons why we wanted to start the podcast as well, is to, like, focus on the books we love and, and talk about them. Yeah. And obviously it's expanded as um, I have moved overseas. But yeah. it's obviously it's quite hard to make time zones work sometimes and, and Britain's pretty good like we're not that far behind Australia but um, we are currently all in different time zones and America is a, like it's a very tricky one to make it work with yeah. <laughs> with Australia but also with the UK and then to make it all work together it's a miracle we're all here today <laughs> yeah transcontinental um... podcasting <laughs> exactly <laughs> 
God, you've got to wonder, this can't have happened too many times where people record a podcast with three of the people in yeah. different continents and different time zones. <laughs> it can't have happened very often because it was quite difficult to make happen, but we're so glad that it did. <laughs> yes. And it, and that is partly um, shout out to Tobias Madden, who organised it. Um, I've had him on the podcast so... before. And, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he, he organised this and, and did the legwork for that. So shout out to him. We love him. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, so let's jump right into chatting about your newest novel, The Map From Here to There, which follows characters that we first met in the start of Me and You. So do you think, firstly, do you think that readers could read either as a standalone or should we be viewing them as a series or duology? How do you feel about that? I certainly wrote The Map From Here to There, which is the second of the two. I certainly Mm -hmm. wrote that with the intention of it standing on its own um, and had several um, readers who hadn't read the first book to um, be certain of that. However, I do think the experience of it is definitely going to be um, heightened by if you have the uh, the information from the first book, but it should still stand on its own. Absolutely. Oh, good. I'm glad <laughs> to you say that because mm-hmm. when I was reading it, I knew that it was, I suppose, technically a sequel and I had read the start of Me and You, but I really did get the feeling that it wasn't necessary, which I think um, is a, is very clever, but also must have been quite hard to write it with these characters that you already know but then like it didn't it didn't matter if you didn't know them yeah. does that make sense yeah yes it um well I was thinking a lot because I mean the first book is called the start of me and you I'm obviously a writer who is pretty fixated on what we view as a beginning and what we view as an ending mm-hmm. um and so part of what was interesting to me about writing a second book was the idea of what wound up being um, the tagline compliments of my U.S. editor. Um, What happens um, after, happily ever after? Um, Like, what's the after part of that? And um, so it's, you know, viewing in the first book, viewing two people finally getting together, and that's, that's the end. And to view that as a beginning for a second book felt very true to the first one and very true to life that um, it's a sort of a roll credits rom-com style ending where a couple rides off into the sunset or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think what's so interesting is, is what happens after that. So I was thinking a lot about how I could write the second book and have it be its own entire full story where the re- their relationship is the beginning of it. So that's sort of how I divided it in my mind. I yeah. love that. Because <laughs> you're so right. Um, so much focuses on getting to that moment of happiness that we don't actually see the story of what happens after. So I think that's, that's great fodder for a novel. Yeah, and I mean, I have been with my spouse for a very long time, and what part of what's so interesting to me about 
our relationship, like the relationship that I live every day is, um, is the everydayness of it. You know, like it's the, it's the moments when everything, it's the stuff that adds up over time. It's the tiny kindnesses and acts of forgiveness and not necessarily these big cinematic moments, even though I love to read those and watch those (laughs) in movies. Um, but I, but that to me, there's so much romance in, in the slow work of building something when it's not easy. And I just wanted to show pieces of that in a young adult novel. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think something that a lot of YA readers would probably agree is that many of them focus on the getting together. And then you don't see the being together. The being together and all of the Mm. flaws that both parties had. And this is whether it's a romantic relationship or a new friendship, anything. All the flaws that both parties had that created conflict on the course of them being together. Those flaws are still going to exist on the other side of on the other side of a first kiss or whatever it is. Um, And so that for me, it's hard to do though with characters that you love. It's hard to, to sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to take all of your flaws from the first novel and expand them so that you kind of hurt each other with them. (laughs) And and let's see how you do. (laughs) Yeah. Um, how how did you find that as an author? Like, was that difficult? Did you want to protect them a bit? Did you have to push yourself to maybe put them in situations yeah. that weren't yes. necessarily what you originally thought you would? Yes, it was only because in the first book, I think I don't they I think you see their flaws the two characters Paige and Max and I I will include her friends in that because there's conflict within her friend group as well in the second book. I think you see flashes of all of their faults, but none of the characters really wield those faults against each other um, as they do in the second (laughs) book. Um, So I think it's easier to be on board with any of them in the first one. And I think it's a little harder for me as a writer to force them into misunderstandings and hurt feelings and miscommunications. Um, But that's just, that's the kind of writing I'm interested in, that kind of close study of interpersonal relationships in all of their gnarled, joyous forms. Um, But it was, it is, I'm, I know some authors sort of love to be the puppet master who, who delight in putting their characters through things. And I am a softie. Um, I just want to serve, I just want to like serve my characters cups of tea. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh, you poor thing. Um, (laughs) Let's give you a scene where very just soft things are happening. Let's take you to a bookstore. Everything works out. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. I I have to work in conversations with like, you know, a trusted parent who kind of talks them down. (laughs) I have to do it. I just, I just, I pat their hands as I write them. Oh, oh, I love that description. That's very cute. Um, (laughs) um, One thing I really liked 
about the map from here to there is sort of that focus on year 12 or your senior year. And a line I really loved in that book was when Paige said, the road in front of us stole all my attention. And I had to stop and write that down because I don't think I've ever read anything that so perfectly describes how Mm. weird that last year of school is. You want to focus on enjoying it with your friends, but you also know everything is the last. Yes. Um, Yep. I mean, yeah. And that's a a very weird headspace to be in when you're supposed to be making very big decisions about your future. Even if you're not planning on going to university, you still are going to be, I don't know, a working adult. So um, that is an extremely heady time period. And it was for me, it was so much fun to feel like I'd finally gotten the hang of things. Um, like 12 years into schooling, (laughs) I finally, I, yeah, I finally had a, you know, I felt like I had a great thing going, but every time that I wasn't having fun with my friends, it was that white hot panic of having to think about uprooting the life I'd made for myself and starting to make a new one. Um, it is a lot and it is a lot to ask a 17 or 18 year old to do. I think yeah. it's so applicable to other areas of our lives. So, like, I'm already start. We've still got more than a year left on our visa here, and already I'm starting to think. Like, I get really scared about that because I just don't want like it to what? end. Yes, yes. Oh, I know. Mm. And I tried. I tried to stay very committed in writing this book to senior year. I I don't have a wonderful memory actually. Um, I have to rely on my friends for a lot of, for a lot of uh, details of my own experiences. But for some reason, I have actually a lot of really wonderful, vivid memories of my senior year of high school. And so I was trying to stay in that headspace of very high highs and very low lows. But at the same time, I was writing this book while I was pregnant with my daughter becoming a mom for the first time. And then I was also writing it after she was born. So for me, the experience of writing the book, I I have maybe never felt more like I did in my senior year of high school than that first year of being a mom where I felt like I'd finally had adulthood kind of figured out. And then (laughs) it gets turned upside down, you know, in a wonderful way, but in a way that I'm trying to figure out my place in it and in the world and with kid and trying to balance all of those things. It felt very familiar. Um, And so I think the book, even though it's very squarely about year 12, I think if you squint, you can probably see a new mom (laughs) figuring out (laughs) her own uh, balance. And I hope that that's something that resonates across a lot of ages, that these sort of big life changes that, that cause you to sort of renegotiate your current reality um, it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. Mm. It is. And I think it sort of does apply to, you know, any of those sort of big moments. I mean, I'm the same. I remember so many different things about my last year of high school. I couldn't tell you what book we read in English, but I remember, yeah. <laughs> you know, hanging out with my I friends. Can. And like, it was <laughs> pride and prejudice. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, Canterbury Tales, other things. you don't forget. <laughs> oh my god that is a terrible book for seeing oh my goodness 
what a horrible thing to do to to teenagers it's oh yeah it's in there forever I had a wonderful teacher so it was actually surprisingly pretty pretty exciting some of the time she was she was really excited and passionate about it <laughs> I mean oh, that's wow. good that's good yeah but yeah that one stays with you oh yeah mm-hmm. and I think we also did Beowulf so mm-hmm. yeah oh my gosh the famous like Haney more intelligent mm-hmm. than like the stuff that we were doing <laughs> at high school like yeah that's, that's what I'm thinking university oh, level God. stuff that's amazing I mean that was absolutely AP English that I was late for every single morning <laughs> for <laughs> on memories yeah <laughs> but um something I do think um as like as an Aussie the like year 12 obviously like we you know are still choosing our university degrees and it's the last year and everything like that but I I think something that is perhaps a bit more uniquely American is that fear of like moving across the country because most people move away for college or for university whereas that's not perhaps as common here or you're not moving as far yeah um did you move away for, for college? Is that something that you really had to deal with at that age? I was only two hours from um, my parents' home, um, which is to now as my adult self, that sounds so, it feels so odd to me that that was my choice. Um, because as my adult self, I'm very happy to drop everything at any point and go traveling. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, yes. <laughs> as, yeah. but as an 18-year-old, um, I had gone to the university that I, um, that I wound up attending. I'd visited um, before I was really looking at colleges. And so it kind of caught me off guard in that it was sort of love at first sight when I wasn't looking for a school. Um, and then every other school had to sort of stack up to my romanticized, you know, like first college that I spent time at view. Um, and in the end, I, I really liked having that relatively close proximity. Um, that made sense for those four years of my life. Um, but yeah, I was not moving cross country. That to me as my 18 year old self sounded unfathomable. Mm. And only partially mm. because of state tuition. <laughs> um, but in this case, the state that I live in has um, such wonderful in-state options that that for me, um, that for me made a lot of sense. And it was a great experience. But if my adulthood, my current adult self could be transported back in time to that age, I would absolutely be <laughs> in New York or in California. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, I went to uni in my hometown, so I still lived at so home. That, it was very fun. Was that with a lot of people that you went to school with then, year twelve and before? Yes, it was actually yeah. a, a yeah. handful of people. Depending on what degree you wanted to do, um, the university in our hometown. Um, may not have offered it um yeah some people still move away for that reason or some people move Mm -hmm. away for the reason to just move away um to a bigger like to the state's capital or anything like that Um, I think a lot of people though just end up going to 
um like like you said like within the same state they just yeah, go yeah. to the capital city because where we're from yeah. is, is quite regional so yeah. I think it's still sort of rare for people to be like I'm gonna move to the other side of the country yeah. to go for university unless it's like an amazing Gotta go. offer. yeah right right yeah and yeah that was the case for me so I mean I was gonna say you know that was the decision made back then but Who's to say that I wouldn't go back to school in the future? I love school. Maybe maybe <laughs> it's not too late for me to go out of state. <laughs> you are my kind of person. That's excellent. Yeah, I love school too. <laughs> yeah. I, I love I love school. I miss the classroom all the time. Um yeah, I really do. Um I worked at a university for uh, most of my 20s and was so delighted to have tuition remission to just recreationally take classes (laughs) oh my god this is a great perk for me (laughs) I would have loved that that sounds so fun yeah (laughs) it's the best part of of working a university job for me for nerds yeah yeah I love that Uh, um, so another theme that comes through quite strongly in this novel, um, is Paige's experience with anxiety. Um, and some of your previous novels have also touched on mental health, um, including like bipolar disorder. Um, how's your personal experience influenced the inclusion of mental health in your books? Um, I mean, entirely hugely um I I don't know that I I would have known how to write a first person protagonist without some sort of mental illness that they're contending with a little bit even if it's not given a name as directly because there were certainly many years of my life where, oh my gosh, so many years of my life where I was contending with like mental illness symptoms that I did not have language for. Um, and I was very lucky in that my, my parents, like within my household, they were very fluent in, um, in that language I guess is how I would put it. Mm. Like that was absolutely um, like the word anxiety was said to me as a kid, like bipolar disorder was said. I didn't hear any discussion from anywhere else in the world other than inside of my own home. Um, Mm. But I think that I started, I wrote about it much with much more intention going into when we collided. And that was simply because, um, like looking at my own life um, and I just, I don't see like my daily life or at least, you know, my monthly life is going to have me navigating mental illness as just part of my personal experience. And I don't ever, the watching my spouse sort of deal with that with me, um, it just, sometimes I guess it's a big deal. I mean, it can, it can get to that point, but it's just kind of part of how we operate and, and how he, it's part of our relationship, but not necessarily like a negative one, if that makes sense. Um, And I just couldn't think of many 
love stories I'd ever read that were fun and escapist and romantic and also had mental illness as a component of them. Um, there are just so many tragedies written and I don't see my own life as a tragedy at all. Um, I have a wonderful love story in my life. I have wonderful longtime friends. I have a wonderful life with some really, really hard periods in there. Um, but that's how I conceptualize my own experience. And I had at that point, I, there have, I think there have been a lot of additions to bookshelves in, in the years since. But at the time that I was writing that book, I just really felt like I'd never read anything that, that captured the way I feel about about that. And that holds true for, um, for the map from here to there as well. I wanted to, mm. um, I wanted to portray this sort of fine line between the sort of baseline anxiety of having to make big choices about your future and the kind of clinical grade anxiety that Paige experiences, um, that can become very physical and, um, sort of intrusive thoughts, that sort of thing. Um, but I just wanted to portray that as part of someone's daily experience without it, you know, wrecking everything. Um, Cause that's just what's the, that is the most true thing for me. And I think I'm always trying to write the thing that is most truthful to my own experience. Mm. Definitely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's mostly what all writers are doing is you know telling some element of their own stories um yes in hopes that yeah. you know other people will read them and relate and understand or learn um which is why we all love books obviously <laughs> um yeah. I'm, I'm usually I always say that the the moment when I know that a story is worth pursuing for me is when I realize I'm wrestling with some one big, very personal question that I truly don't have an answer to. So each of my five books represents something that was going on with me in my life at that time. And even though I take that sort of core question and put it in, put it into a protagonist who is not me and who deals with it differently and has a completely fictitious life that is not my life, um, whatever question I'm trying to work through is entirely real. And in the case of the map from here to there, it's, that's really me trying to come to terms with how to, how to transition into the next phase of my life and how to do it without losing the parts of my life that I loved. So for me, that's like how to, how to suss out my mom identity without losing, um, the parts of my previous self that I don't want to. Um, and that was a question going into writing it that I didn't have a solution or an end point, which is a very vulnerable place to work from um, to, but that's how I know that I have something challenging enough to keep me coming back to a book and working on it for a couple of years um, is trying to just be honest with myself about something that feels very, very much like, like exposing <laughs> a very internal part of myself. Um, and just like hoping that other people recognize that sort of messy, honest reckoning. 
Wow. Mm. I feel like you just described that so well. I just loved that. And Mm, thank you you for (laughs) sharing these bits of yourself with us, with your readers. Um, Thank you. (laughs) So taking it back a little bit then, can you tell us a bit about how you started writing and how your first book was published? I think it was quite traditional, um, really. So can you tell us the story? Yes. Well, speaking of mental illness, this segues nicely. <laughs> I'll come back around to that in a second. Um, I So I started writing seriously when I was 23 and um, had finished at university and was um, very broke and very lost in terms of what I wanted to do next. Uh, The U.S. was in quite a recession, and so the job market was painful. And I lived in a city where I did not know anyone but my partner. (laughs) I had just moved there. And I was also grieving several losses in my life. (laughs) And in hindsight, just super depressed. Um, Mm. I like that is, that is clear now. Um, and I started writing not really with the intent of pursuing publication. I thought publication like, oh, maybe like way down the line. I was just needing an escape very badly. And, um, I'm absolutely sure that any therapist would be like, oh, what a surprise. You spent your time creating a world that you could control on the page. (laughs) (laughs) But that is how I wrote my first two books um, was in the evenings after whatever jobs I was working, um, just as sort of a step beyond reading, like how far can I escape (laughs) into into fiction? (laughs) Aha, I'll make my own. Um, And so those, you know, that is where the start of me and you came from. Um, that the question I was wrestling with in that book was, can I be okay on the other side of grief? And at the time I did not have an answer for it. And I think that's like looking back on that book, I think that is clear. Um, and, but after I'd filled in every space in the word document where I had left brackets that said, add later self, or insert something funny. (laughs) Um, It kind of became this thing where I got close enough to having a beginning and a middle and an end with these characters that um, then it just became sort of a point of pride of filling back in all the things I I'd left for myself. And then I I had, you know, I don't know, 60,000 words of coherent um, character stuff. And when I, read it back, I knew because I've been a reader, a devoted, you know, voracious reader for so much of my life, I knew that it wasn't good. (laughs) Um, But I, but it was there. And it suddenly became a very exciting challenge to try to make it good. And to apply the things that I'd learned in my literature degree um, in a way that I kind of hadn't been before. I was just solely writing for pleasure. And mm-hmm. so then I went back and kind of re 
almost reconstructed it intentionally this time trying to write a book the first by the time it was done if someone would have said you wrote a book I would have laughed in their faces I I just I so wasn't imagining it as that I don't know if that makes sense it was just a word document that I kept revisiting with the same characters putting them through this story um and then I went back and I was like well you know let's let's dip a toe into online publishing information and try to figure out what the next step would be. And at that point, I learned about literary agents and querying. And um, I took a really, I found a critique partner who is still my critique partner almost 10 years later um, and spent that time working and working and um, researching agents and landed with um Taylor Martindale Keene, who is still my agent um, currently. And of course, and then she sent um, sent my first book out to what would be my first book out to publishers. And as with, I think almost any writer's experience will tell you, there were certainly rejections at all stages of this process mm-hmm. I'm describing. Um, but for me, that actually, I thought that was going to take a real, I thought that was going to be a real hit for me to deal with the rejection. And certainly it got to the, there were points in it where I felt really deeply discouraged. But there were also points that surprised me that um, being a rejected writer, the first time that it happened, um, I w- all of a sudden, I felt like I was in league with all of the writers I loved the most, they were all once rejected writers. And now I was a rejected writer too. Yeah. (laughs) And it it felt like having, I'm not sure if you have an equivalent of this, but in the U S like having a girl scout sash and um, like, I've now been rejected. Go me. Yes. And getting, (laughs) getting a badge on it that instead of saying, um, you know, like a nature badge or whatever, it was like, it was like my rejected writer badge. And I'm like, yeah, like Ursula Le Guin <laughs> got rejected too. Um, and so that for me was, and like, I also started to understand that, that there are wait times and a lot of uncertainty, even long after you have published your first novel and spending that time learning how to cope with that waiting time and learning how to create work I care about while I am, while I am waiting and nervous and all of that. It was a wonderful time to form, form those coping mechanisms that I still use with, you know, very degrees of success, but they're there. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So ultimately I, and I've also been with my, um, with Bloomsbury, my publisher has published, um, all five of my books. So it's been like a very, um, I've had a lot of consistency in the course of my career too. Um, but yeah, it's generally, that's a, that's a kind of old school, uh, found my agent through just cold pitching, no connection, no other information. And, um, but it, but it worked out. Certainly did. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. We have just doing it like the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm like, so, all hard ways. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know yeah, but like, I don't know like so many other writers have done before too. I, I think that's such a good way of looking at it too because a lot of people could look at that and, you know, get quite disheartened, um, 
feel like maybe they weren't doing something right, but to take that negative rejection and reframe <laughs> it, I think is a wonderful thing. Um, aside from that of advice, do you have any other words of wisdom for people who are, you know, maybe at, at the start of their writing career and looking to get published? I think what I always go to is um, working on a project that is that is really meaningful to you, regardless if that's because it's personal or it's exciting or it's um, fantastical or it's whatever the reason that it is meaningful to you, um, instead of trying to follow market trends, because it's just not possible. Um, I mean, you can try, but I, at least for me, I think an, a big part of the consistency that I've that I've had in the past however many years, almost 10 since I um, started writing very seriously, is because I really, really love writing. <laughs> um, and, and I know that sounds really silly, like, of course you do, you're a writer, but it's that I really kind of insist to, on for myself that uh, I'm working on a project that I, I care about and that is causing me to, that's making me do the work of, of sh exploring something that's a little outside my comfort zone, um, whatever it is that's drawing me back to the page. I really believe in, in writing the thing that only you can write. Um, marrying the things that are personal to your life with the weird stuff you're interested in and just really making something true to yourself, like your personal pain and loss and your sense of humor um, and working from there. So I guess that's a very wordy way of saying, like, find a way of, of loving it at least some of the time. A lot of it's going to be drudgery. It just is. It's, it's work. It's hard work. Um, but working for me from a place of passion is something that matters to me. Reading widely always um, is, and then the third one, and this is, yes, I mean this, even though, despite what I just said, take writing advice with a grain of salt. Um, <laughs> because a lot of time, like I, I took some plenty of writing advice that I believed was gospel when I was a younger writer and, and my writing wasn't better for it. Um, I, I thought it was universal advice that didn't necessarily work for me as a writer and didn't work for the, the kind of narrative I was trying to craft. And so I think that, um, you know, anytime you hear a writer say, well, oh, it's important to write every day. No, it's not. Not for every writer. For some writers, sure. So I think taking writing advice as individual garments that you can try on and see if they fit. And if they don't, take them off. Um, there's, mm. it's, this, is, this is art making. It's chaos. That's, <laughs> it's okay to, if you're someone who's very structured, if you're not, there, there isn't one right way of doing it. If there are a hundred books on a shelf, then writers got there a hundred different ways. Um, so as great as it can be to try on other people's processes, processes, um, like finding your own way and trusting your intuition and, 
um, shaking off any advice that is is making it harder for you. Um, I think I wish that's that's something that I wish someone would have um, would have told me earlier. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because it really is such an individual thing. Mm. So mm. and it depends on how you work as well. What motivates you what you're looking for so yeah perfect advice exactly (laughs) and for some people if if what they want or need to do is write the absolute maximum that they that they can in a given time period then there are reasons why that needs to happen and there are methodologies to help that along but that's not everyone's goal some people want to write commercially some people want to write literary you know I mean there are just there's so many different end goals for what writers want out of the process of writing so Mm. because of that like I'm someone who wants to really really deeply care about what I'm working on but not everyone is necessarily going to feel that way there are ways of engaging with what you're writing and you don't necessarily have a deep psychological involvement and that's okay um (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, they're just like, in short, don't listen to me or anyone. No, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's the opposite. Like, it's good to it's good to be open to a lot of things, but also be be ready to sort of forge your own path. Mm. Like, listen to me by not listening to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think that's great. I love it. Um. The Map From Here to There is your fifth novel. Has your writing process changed since that? Well, I suppose it must have if you weren't originally (laughs) intending to write a book. But how has your writing (laughs) process changed from sort of that first time or the second time, you know, up till now? Yeah, I think part of it is that I'm more conscious of my own, of my own patterns. Um, in that I, I know that I need that big central question that I talked about Mm. earlier. Um, whereas before, I think that was unconscious for my first two books. It was an honest, it was honest things I was grappling with, but I don't think I'd realized about myself that that's what I was doing. And now I know that's what I'm doing. Um, and I, I'm, um, I'm much more intentional now. Um, as a writer, especially because it's just necessarily a different approach. I have a different responsibility um, in my own mind, at least, um, to to readers who um, who've read my work. I I feel I did not have that, of course, when I was um, writing pre-publication, but Mm. now I feel very strongly that since I'm lucky enough to have readers who have followed me through these five books, I always want to, to work on something that is as, as earnest as, as I was when I was just writing at 23, which is such a hard age and just like full of like loneliness and, desire for connection and you know all of these things like now I think I feel um I definitely feel that responsibility to be intentional and of course my actual process in terms of like when I'm writing and where Mm. changes all the time um 
necessarily because I travel for work and um, and I've had to learn to be a little bit more adaptable outside of, outside of my normal home environment. It's almost like with each book that you got to know yourself and your habits and your patterns and your like what you were trying to do a little bit better. Yes. Yes. And although I will say that every book is every book is a different labyrinth and mm. the way that you get to the the way that I get to the center of it is is different every time. But it doesn't change the fact that I've been in five labyrinths before. And so yeah. I know there's a way to end somehow. Um, and like I have better coping mechanisms for the part, the point in the process when I really start to doubt myself. I'm like, oh, this is familiar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've been here before. Kind of, yes, right. There's... Um, working on the map from here to there, I I hit a moment with the book where I was venting to my spouse and said, you know, like, I really think I've hit the point, like, I don't think I can do it. Like, I mean, I'm like, I've thought about it from every angle and I just don't see the way forward. I I really don't know (laughs) that I can like keep it. And he was like, well, in my experience, it's not that you can't do it. To me, this is the point in your process when you claim you can't do it, which means you're getting pretty close. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that is true. It's true. <laughs> can't deny it. Oh, gosh, how funny. Um, <laughs> Before we go, I do have a nice little fun question to end on. Oh. It's just a little silly thing, but when I was researching our questions for this, I came across um, some information that you are quite a fan of the original Bake Off um, with Mary and Sue and Mel. The only version of Bake Off, yes, (laughs) hard. Oh, Mel and Sue, I love you so much. I miss them so much, although I have to say um, Noel and um, Sandy did grow on me. I've not, I very I've much become, enjoyed watching them. Um, become very fond of them, but I, yeah. but I love Mel and Sue deeply. I love their integrity <laughs> in leaving. <laughs> I, I have watched every single series of the original multiple times. Um, so what I want to know is yeah what would you make if you were on Bake Off oh okay (laughs) Mm. brutal brutal question um I think I would do a twist on a Bakewell which I know Mm. which Mm -hmm. I know is sort of retro the mm-hmm. Bakewell um but it is a very fond and familiar taste to me as um a kid who has a half English family um and so I think I'd like to do I, I really do love though in my um both on the show and in me as someone who also loves eating baked goods I like anything really unusual um yeah. Yeah, especially when it comes to any new flavor that someone can pair with chocolate that I've never had before, I'm going to be very excited about. 
Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to, I really enjoy like any dark chocolate truffle that has guava, matcha, anything that I, that just seems like, what? I am excited <laughs> about. So I can see that I can I can see myself doing some traditional English bake, um, Victoria sandwich, but with sort of unusual flavors. Oh, nice. I like that. I think Mary Berry would approve of that. (laughs) I mean, I would just be like, Mary Berry, I appreciate so deeply. I genuinely do love her Victoria sandwich recipe. (laughs) Um, And I've, I've added something absurd like um you know some some earl grey buttercream instead of your traditional and and we've added some fruit I don't know um (laughs) but I do like watching Bake Off I think I have very specific bakes in my mind that people have made that Mm -hmm. I'm like if I could eat that I mean this is a discussion in our home like name your top three bakes (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, what's your favorite week on Bake Off? Um, I do love any time they have to do cakes. Mm. Um, That to me is always very interesting because there are just so many different components that that's always very exciting for me. I don't understand. I don't know that I understand bread well enough as a home baker I've never made bread myself, so but I appreciate Bread Week very much as a viewer. And yeah. I, I've, even though it spikes my anxiety, the final week is always a joy to watch everyone sort of bring everything, their their best, the best versions of their bakes and their personal lives and what they love and and creating something beautiful. I love this show a lot. <laughs> yeah, not- it's. I mean, it's it's brilliant, and it's just I know we will have to wrap up soon. But is the reason that you got into it because your father is British? No, I actually cannot remember why I got into it. (laughs) I couldn't I couldn't stop talking to my dad about it. He hadn't seen it. Um, And as I described the show, as I described the show to him, it seemed very perplexing to him that there would be like a an English reality show. A British reality show seemed very strange to him, even though I'm like, he has to, he does not know that there are plenty of those. But as I described the show, he said, wait, so are they really trying to compete against each other or are they all just doing their best in the same room? (laughs) And I was like, it's definitely the second one. Honestly, Bake Off is such a heartwarming show. I love it. I'm so excited for like the celebrity one this year is going to have like Louis Theroux and I think Idris Elba and like it's just going to be amazing. I mean, Idris Elba has to redeem himself from Cats to be quite frank. But, you know, I'm I'm so excited. Devastated that Sandy's left because she was so great. But I'm so excited for what they create and it's just it makes me so anxious as I'm watching it for them. And suddenly, like, I barely bake anything. And yet suddenly my partner and I, they're like, oh, don't do that. No, you're going to ruin it. Oh, no, you need to put more yeast You want to know to make- prove that more. Like, like as if I know what I'm talking about. about reality shows is that you become a sudden expert. Yeah, I'm like that when I watch The Voice or something like that. I'm like, oh, my God, this is a terrible audition song. You oh know, God. when like I watch I The Block or – 
or house rules. And I'm like, oh my God, they did not waterproof that room properly. Oh my I God, know. they haven't done their skirting boards. <laughs> yes, this exactly. Is, this is the joy of it. This is the joy of it as an at-home viewer. You're just like, oh, no, leave it in the proving drawer. What is a proving drawer? I've never used one. No, I just want their ovens where they like slide back. Oh my God, that kitchen, like just come and fit mm. out my kitchen like that. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but I may be sending you off on a new rabbit hole oh. of stuff to watch, but there is another show called The Great British Sewing Bee, which is a sewing version of Bake Off. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much. Everybody everybody trying their best in the same room? Yes, absolutely. Excellent. And they, they literally they have like um they have a pattern challenge which and then which they can prepare for a bit and then they have what is essentially the technical where they have a little bit of time to turn like a pair of old jeans into something new or whatever. And then they have like their showstopper piece. It's exactly like Bake Off. Um, and the other one that that my partner and I have just found is called um, Bake Off: The Professionals, and it's professional pastry chefs. That Thank is, you for bringing that to my life. Oh, it's incredible! Like the pastry chef one is just insane, and our friend Indy would just love it so much. It's oh. It's incredible. But, yeah, like, I know nothing about patisserie. And by the end of that, I was like, oh, my gosh, no, they've, like, they've done that wrong. They're going to ruin the croissants. Yeah, I know. Am, like, <laughs> am I a pastry chef now? I have watched. <laughs> Is that a credential for me? I've watched 12 seasons. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, I'm going to think of you oh every God. time it's on now. It's going to be fantastic. Well, oh. Oh, well, thank I'm you. So glad my... we could finish on that note. <laughs> yes, when my sixth book is late to my publisher, I'll send them to you, and I'll be like, "Well, yeah. they told me about yeah. the sewing." <laughs> I'm so <laughs> sorry, Bloomsbury. What well, could anyone expect fault. from me? <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh, goodness! No, it's brilliant. You'll love it. Like, yeah. Oh, excellent. I'm so so happy we could finish on that note, and. Now I really, really want to go and rewatch all of Bake Off. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, my goodness. Um. So as I started to say before. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um. Thank you so much for joining us, Emery. Um. Where can our listeners find you online? Instagram, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, all of my handles for social media are under the extremely creative name Emery Lord. No spaces. <laughs> <laughs> Easy, perfect. Yep, yep. I'm a simple gal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Thank you so much for this... Oh, we've been so glad to have you. Um, and I never know what to say. Goodbye. I know. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so I'll much. And we <laughs> we hope everyone has enjoyed this as much as we have. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Better Words. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It really would mean the world to us. And you can also find us at our website, betterwordspodcast.com. 
and on social media at Better Words Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Bye. Bye.